Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. everybody welcome back to another episode of the o show podcast episode 375 presented by mayweather boxing and fitness in scottsdale our guest today he's an animator he's a writer he's a producer director he's the the founder the creator really fairly odd parents danny phantom nickelodeon 20 plus years you worked with marvel you, you you've done a lot of stuff it's mr butch hartman in the house thanks so much for doing this man Hey guy, no, it's a pleasure, Jack, and thanks for um, for having me on. You know, I want to just uh, encourage people out there if you want to get someone on your podcast, just email them. That's how you and I got on on here together. You just you just reached out and emailed me, and uh, here we are. That's right, and you got to be persistent as well. You know, I've probably reached out a few times to multiple people. You know, you're a busy guy. You know, you're doing about a billion things a day. You know, like you don't always get to see those emails that people send to you. You've probably have like a hundred in your spam folder right now of kids waiting to talk to you that you can't get around to. You just got to be persistent, and hopefully one day through the weeds you find it. Yeah, I get a lot of amazing fans, and I'm, I'm appreciative of every single one of them. And um, I got some great people that reach out, and they're real nice, and they have, they have all kinds of questions. And, um, you know, it's usually the same series of questions. And so I've actually uh, written a couple books, and I've actually uh, uh, begun to develop, and I'm almost ready to launch um, uh, instructional program that will hopefully answer all these questions so people won't feel like I didn't answer them. And you still do interviews after all that, too. God bless you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually 108, and everything from below the waist is like a machine. I'm like, it's like a Star Wars uh, life machine. I'm attached with cables here. I don't have legs or anything. <laughs> well, as a uh, uh, just a re- recent graduate of college, uh, like I said, I minored in film before we came on. You you went to school with a specific purpose as well, I feel like. Like I was talking about before, I want to be a broadcaster, a podcaster, uh, get into film, whether it be acting or actually directing myself. But you knew at a young age what you wanted to do, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, when I was young, I started drawing cartoons as a little kid, and then um, that sort of just kept me going my whole childhood. I just loved cartoons, movies, comic books, that type of thing. And then I... Uh, I lived in Michigan. That's where I was yeah. from. And I, you know, the entertainment industry in Michigan, there, there really isn't one to speak of. There's something, there's some few things there, but you know, I wanted to be on TV and, and be in the movies and things. And so it's very untouchable when you're there. And so I found this school called Cal arts, uh, in Valencia, California. And this is before the internet, of course, so I had to send away for a pamphlet and got their package and all this other stuff. And, Long story short, I wanted to go there because they taught animation. Uh, where they actually had teachers from the Disney Studios as their as their oh wow like animators from the Disney Studios as their teachers. And I thought, boy, this will be great. So I actually got into the school in 1983 as a, at age 18. I came out to California, and uh, my dream was to work for Disney. And to this day, I've never worked for Disney. I've worked wow. everywhere, but <laughs> I worked like everywhere but Disney. But I've never been there. Well, I mean, let's take a look at this. This was in college, right? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you found that. That's a drawing I did uh, back in the day where um, I actually got an internship while I was at school. In, uh, when I was at Disney, I got an internship at school for Disney. I got to go to Disney for a month and be like an, an animator for a month. And that was one of the characters I animated. That was my own character. I'm glad you found that, man. That's pretty good, very good homework there. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I really dug deep for that one. Because, again, you have your YouTube channel. You have all this marketing stuff, you know, branding out your content. You did the podcast for a little while, but you're not doing it anymore, are you? I did one podcast for a while called Speech Bubble that I absolutely yeah. loved. Uh, and we did two years of that, and, and, and you know we ended up stopping that for a while. And I have a new podcast that I do now based on my book. I have a book called Mad Hustle, and it's all about how to pitch and sell shows in Hollywood, a little more practical. Again, that's some of the questions I get asked all the time. So uh, I actually have a Mad Hustle podcast uh, co-hosted by my wife, who is kind of like my business partner. And um, so we, te- we teach people how to achieve their dreams in Hollywood and how to get going as far as entertainment goes. And if you have a you know, a dream, like, like for example, you want to do a uh, big podcaster or broadcaster, or whatever. Many people don't know how to even take that first step. And that's what we want to help people learn how to do. That's what I always appreciated about you, you know, watching your stuff, your content, your shows, like you're always getting, you know, you and your guests, whether it's people that you've worked with in the past, you know, actors, other filmmakers, other, you know, animators, you bring them together and you actually show kids like me who are listening you know, what steps you got to take, you know, like it's not, you know, verbatim, like do the, you do A to get to Z, but you kind of show them the ropes to say like, hey, I was a kid from Michigan who really didn't grow up in the area of where like this all takes place. And mm-hmm. I still found a way to navigate myself to accomplishing my goal. Yeah, it really, it just comes down to the person really. And, and you know, all of us have the potential to really do whatever we want. It's just how badly do you want to do it? You know, how badly do you like this, this podcast you have just didn't show up out of nowhere. I'm sure you worked very, very hard to get where you are at such a young age, and you're sponsored by this Mayweather company. I mean, to get a sponsor like that is is massively cool, and uh, it takes it takes effort, it takes work, and um, uh, if people want to put the work in, they will get somewhere. And I just want to make sure they understand it's uh, it can still be fun too. It's not all uh, you know terrible. It's it can be a lot of fun, and it's part of the adventure of life. I mean, I think when you first visualize like what you want to do, your dream, your goal at the end of the day, it's exciting. But then you have all those bumps in the road. You kind of have to, again, navigate your way through those tough times. Because, again, early on, like you started out your your first gig out of school. Correct me if I'm wrong, or at least one of them was Marvel doing My Little Pony. Right. Which to you, like it's an opportunity, but probably wasn't the most exciting thing in the world. You still had to learn your way, you know. And at, at, at the same time, like you as a creator on your own right, you have, you know, things that you want to do, but now you're actually working for someone who's like, okay, I visualize this in this way. Let's see what you can do when it's not your actual visual, uh, visualization. Yeah, with, uh, my first job, uh, we were exactly right. Our school was at Marvel Productions. And um, Marvel had an animation studio here in California at the time. It's 1986. And they were doing uh, a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go work at Marvel. I get to draw Spider-Man all day. This would be great. Right. And um, I, my first job I got was on My Little Pony. It was, it was the 1986 really, really bad version of My Little Pony. And um, I learned uh, storyboarding on that job. I learned about TV production on that job. I really wasn't ready for it. I thought I was. I was kind of thrown into the deep end. Um Job didn't last very long. I had to learn to find another job real quick because, again, I thought I was very good at one thing, but then I realized I had to get good at many things as opposed to just one. So I had to start amping up my skill set, taking more classes, meeting more people. 
if I wanted to survive in the industry that I was choosing to be in. And so I started doing that as a younger person. So expanding your skill set, you know, you just touched on like that came from just, you know, getting thrown into the fire. Like you, did you have like an idea of like, okay, the more I go along, I'm going to expand my skill set just through my experiences. But you were kind of, again, like thrown into the fire, thrown into the lion's den per se. And you were like, okay, like I got to learn fast. Well, absolutely. Uh, it's almost like going to, uh, if you're a baseball player, going back to sports, uh, you're the best baseball player in your town, but then you get to the major leagues and everybody is just unbelievable. Yep. Like they're, they're incredible. And you're like, I'm good, but I, I, it takes, you have to be a star to get in, you know, uh, you know, the, the pro baseball, but you know, then, then there's stars even once you get to that level and same with animation. It's like, you're good, but you get to that level. And you're like, my God, these people are just unbelievable. If I want to survive, I've got to get better or do something else. <laughs> like maybe I won't draw, but maybe I'll write. I don't know. But I started learning how to do all of it. So that's what really helped. Once I started getting my own shows, I was able to do a lot more. So when you left or when you, you know, got released from My Little Pony, like it stings in the moment, right? But at the same time, you, you were driven enough to where it was like, okay, that was an experience. You know, did it sting at first and were you kind of down on yourself or was it like right away? Like, all right, what's the next thing? Like I learned yeah, it, from my mistakes. It, it's funny because it was so long ago. Uh, it was 86, like 40, 40, 35, 36 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, it definitely stings and you don't like being fired or, or having a job go away. However, it was a little bit of both. I knew I had to get another job. So I rallied. Um, I looked around for more jobs. Again, there was no internet back then. So it's basically word of mouth, newspaper, uh, hey, are they hiring here? That sort of thing. And it's actually physically walking in with your portfolio, sitting at a desk in front of somebody. You can tell right away if they like your stuff. Right. <laughs> it's like now you don't send it in online. You have to sit in front of a ta- at a table with somebody. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, I was able to land another job and uh, continued on from there and then began learning more and more. So when you talk about, you know, learning from other people, being in a room surrounded by people that want to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, when was it like the first real time where you felt like, okay, I'm not necessarily on the same playing field as these guys, but we all have come together collectively and have all these great ideas? Uh, The first time I did that, one of the first times was when I was at um, Ruby Spears Productions when I left um, um, Marvel went to Ruby Spears, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears were the two guys who created Scooby-Doo for yeah. Hanna-Barbera. So Ruby Spears had their own studio. I worked there for a bit. I was an artist, but it was a smaller company. So I was allowed to help write stories and gags and things like that. So that really got my writing brain going. And then I went to Hanna-Barbera uh, where they were buying new shows. Uh, Fred Seibert just came in and took over and they made it into Cartoon Network. So I worked on a show. I worked on Johnny Bravo and Dexter's Lab, worked on uh, those types of shows. And then um, from there, Fred left and went over to Nickelodeon and said, hey, come on over and pitch a show. And I said, great, I'll be there Friday. This was Tuesday. Hung up the phone. I had nothing. And I'm like, <laughs> i got to come up with something by Friday. So I came up with a show called The Fairly Odd Parents by Friday. And then I pitched that to him. He bought one short cartoon. And then, oh, look at that. Probably this looks like the same shirt I have on right now. <laughs> but I uh, uh, I sold that to him, and uh, he uh, bought it. And then Nickelodeon loved it. We're like, oh, we got to make more of those. So they gave me about they gave me ten short cartoons to make within two years. I made about ten shorts, pretty much by myself. I had like two other people helping me. And then um, they focus tested those shorts in the year two thousand. Kids loved it, and they made it into a series. We premiered in two thousand one. Well, so how long did you have it in your pocket then, or before you actually released it? Like first initial thought in your head, this is what I want to do to first episode being aired. 
Mm. Oh, um, well, it kind of came out about because I was going to get fired from Johnny Bravo. I was working on Johnny Bravo at the time. Not fired. I actually wasn't fired this time. Johnny Bravo was ending. Season okay. one was ending. That's different. Ending yeah, they weren't going to pick it up. And so I was like, well, I was kind of, and this happens in Hollywood all the time. Shows end, you got to go on to the next show. It happens to everybody. Um, so uh, Johnny Bravo's ending. I needed a job and I came up with Fairly Odd Parents. That was October of 97. Wow. And then I pitched it to Fred that same month. And in December of 97, I went to Nickelodeon and never left until 2018. Wow. So how that's 20 plus years. I don't know the exact, uh, 21 years, 21 years with the same company. Did you know a few years in like fairly odd parents? Like this is a big show. Like that was again, 97. It starts like that's right around the time I'm five, six, seven, eight years old watching that stuff. You know, like that was my favorite show. You might've seen the shorts because they ran on a show called the Oh yeah. Cartoon show, which was a, we were, well, we were part of a bunch of other cartoons, but it premiered as a series in 2001, May 30th, 2001. Uh, wow. That's what it premiered. So you would have been, what year were you born? 98. 98. Oh my God. You, yeah. <laughs> you were three when the show came on. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you were three. And so um, it aired pretty much your whole you know, formative years there. Uh, maybe maybe you got to watch a little bit of it as you were growing up. I oh, think. my God. Like I said, it was probably one of my favorite shows on Nickelodeon growing up. And then Danny Phantom comes out. Like, that yeah. was the next big one. I'm like, this is kick-ass. Like, this is awesome. I got my, I got my Danny Phantom Funko Pop right oh, there. Oh, yeah. Baby. It's right there. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that show airs for so many years. Talking about Fairly Odd Parents first, yeah. you know. Yeah. Were there times where you felt like, okay, like, you have to bring in obviously more writers to create the storyline, keep the storyline moving forward. Were there any times where you felt like it was stagnant and then you had breakthrough moments or was it pretty, you know, like flowing throughout the entire process? That's a really good question. Uh, the, it's interesting when you work on a show like that, whether it's animated or live action, sitcom drama, you need a story. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, because no one is going to care about these characters unless there is a story. And, for example, I got a picture of Spider-Man back here. Yep. Spider-Man is super popular because of the story behind the character. Everybody loves the Peter Parker story, the whole thing about his Uncle Ben and all that, how he got his powers. But there's other superheroes no one cares about because they're just boring. And, and so I knew from day one, if these characters were boring, we can see more of the poster right there. Yep. If, these, if these characters were boring, nobody would care. So we have to, and you're right. Uh, they asked me, do you want to spend a lot of money on the art? I said, no, I'll spend a lot of money on writing. I need to get three or four writers in here because we need a, we, I need a killer team of just funny people. And uh, my writers never drew anything. They were just people who wrote. And I lived in both worlds. I would write and I would draw because I draw primarily too. So I would do, uh, I would, in the morning or whatever time of day I would write with them. And then I'd go to the artist the next part of the day and work with them and fix storyboards and adjust designs and things like that. Oh my God. I mean, that takes a lot of stuff. And I'm very curious to hear your answer to this question, just because again, I'm curious. I want to pick your brain about this. Was there ever a time where an idea came across, you know, the writer's table thinking like, this is great, but we can't do this. Like, were there any controversial uh, storylines pitched throughout the process? It was like, ah, we can't air this. You know, it's funny. Uh, we were, they were pretty open. We, first of all, we, we didn't have a bunch of, um, my writers were funny, but you, you always know the lines you can cross and can't cross. And right. no one really has time to waste. Like, we're not going to go down the road and go, 
you know, let's make a, an episode where Timmy's an axe murderer. You know, we're not going to do that. You right. know, that's just not going to happen because it's just going to waste everybody's time. We had one episode. Well, actually, I pitched it where Timmy wants to know where babies come from. So they go to the stork factory, you know, and there's a stork. This is before the movie Storks, of course, but they go to this. this and they were like, it's funny, but we don't think we could go there right now. And I went, okay, I totally get it. And that was only in the premise form. We only had like a paragraph written because you always start off with a paragraph. And then you expand to an outline, and you go to a whole full script. And um, but yeah, we get some great ideas. I had some amazing writers, and these people were just amazingly talented. And uh, we had so much fun laughing all day long. That was the best part. That's got to be the best part of the job, and for doing it for so long, like you did. What was the um, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back when it came to leaving Nickelodeon? Better opportunity, or was it just time to go? Oh, you know, it's very very good question. And, uh, in 2018, I had been at Nickelodeon for 20 plus years, almost 21 years. And 21, 20 years anywhere is a lifetime. And um, I had such a great time in Nickelodeon. I have not one bad thing to say. I wish I could give you something juicy to like, you know, give you, but they're, they're just wonderful people, wonderful organization. It was just time in my, I just felt time in my heart. It was time to go. It's like, you know, I, I kind of, I think we're done. I just done my show Bunsen as a beast. My last yep. show there at Nickelodeon, which I absolutely love doing. Um, they weren't sure if they were going to pick it up. And um, I'd kind of been through that process a lot where you got to wait for a show to get picked up. And it's it just, I, I think I was just kind of like, you know what? We're good now. I think we're good. Uh, we'll do one season of Bunsen and I'll just kind of go maybe do some more stuff. We'll see what we can do, you know? And uh, uh, my wife and I are starting a streaming service where we want to um, uh, have a whole streaming service full of family friendly entertainment. And so that was a big project that was on my plate at the time. And, um, and still is. And we have a whole bunch of other smaller things we're doing and just really looking forward to getting those things accomplished. So besides from the book and the streaming service, is there anything like remotely, you know, when it comes to animation that you're working on, any other big projects that are kind of like in the early stages? Well, I did, um, right on Nickelodeon, I did a show on YouTube called The Hobby Kids Adventures, and um, that was done with an amazing family on YouTube, The Hobby Family. They have the Hobby Kids YouTube channel. I worked with a company called Pocket Watch. We developed a cartoon out of those kids on Hobby Kids. We did two seasons of that, so I did that um, in my own studio. Uh, which was much faster, a little down and dirtier. We did that one real quick as far as like, you know, let's get it done, let's make it awesome. Uh, went a lot faster than like a typical Nickelodeon show would. And I've uh, been doing a lot, uh, I had my, I had a, a YouTube channel called The New Network, I did that, had that app going. I did my YouTube channel, I wrote my book. Um, we, what else did we do? I know, oh yes, uh, right now I'm illustrating a children's Bible for HarperCollins. Oh wow. And that's going well. Uh, that won't be out till about next year. That's about 500 illustrations and that's a huge, huge thing I'm doing. And uh, then there's a few projects I've actually pitched around town here and there, waiting to hear back on those. Nothing major I can talk about yet. And uh, gosh, what else? Oh yeah, I wrote my book, I talked about that. And uh, just, oh yes, I'm also developing these coaching programs as well. And I'm very excited about those. I mean, that's got to be, you know, the, not like the secret sauce, but like the key to staying motivated, having projects down the line. Like you said, like a few big ones a year down the line, some, maybe some smaller ones, a couple months down the line, you know, like when you're writing these books and, you know, you know, pitching that advice to kids like me who want to break into the industry, you know, like, do you feel like that's kind of a big factor, you know, setting yourself up and being like, okay, I have this going on right now, but in the future I have a why as well because I want to do something a year from now and it's going to take that long to build. 
Yeah. And listen, you always, in entertainment, you're always looking down the road. There's always a time investment because nothing happens overnight. In fact, nothing worthwhile ever happens overnight for anything. And if it's worthwhile, it will take some growth. It's a seed. You plant it, you water it. Hopefully it grows into a mighty oak. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, things that happen to you, things that affect you instantly aren't normally good for you, nor do they last very long. So um, anything worthwhile is always worth uh, waiting for. But for me, like I'm uh, in my 50s now, and I never ever, you know, I always knew I'd be in my 50s. But then when you get here, you're like, wow, um, I still love what I do. I want to keep doing awesome stuff. I have a lot more connections than I used to have. I can, you know, make a phone call and get something done right away as opposed to struggling to find the person to help me. So there's a lot of things that uh, are advantageous at this age. Um you know, you want to, what, what I learned about Hollywood was there's a lot of gatekeepers and you kind of got to get through those gates. And that's the challenge of Hollywood. I enjoy the idea of creating my own gates <laughs> right now. It's a lot easier to get through, but I kind of love, I love all of it still. I still love the entertainment industry and I love um, the fact that I can still affect uh, kids uh, in a great way, hopefully inspire them and encourage them because television meant everything to me when I was a kid. I came from a very chaotic upbringing and TV really helped get me through a lot of stuff. Is there anything that you did on your way to accomplishing the things that you did that you'd advise young students or young aspiring, you know, animators, filmmakers, producers, something that you did that you wouldn't want them to do? Oh, yeah, I wouldn't want you to give up. I would never want you to give up. I mean, I know that you might be all of our first plans we think are the genius plan. This is the plan I'm going to go with. And very often, the first plan is uh, definitely not supposed to be the first plan. That's just the first step to get you to the final step, you know. Even like I said, right now, at this point in my life, I can look back now and go, okay, wish I hadn't done that, wish I hadn't done that. If I could talk to my younger son, my wife and I do this in our coaching program all the time. Uh, My coaching program is called Vision Possible, by the way. You can go to visionpossible.net and check that out. We have a YouTube channel. We do live teaching five days a week. But um, one of the things we do, we what would you say to your younger self? And nine out of ten people always say, uh, "Take more risks." Yep. Don't, don't be so afraid. And I'm saying that to you too, uh, Mr. 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 O. I'm, uh, don't uh, don't be afraid, man. Take those risks because you know what? You just learned. It's an experience. It's never a failure. I was gonna say, like, no matter what you've done, you know, like, there's a million failures, and then there's you know the the three or four successes, and that's what defines you at the end of the day. That the fact that you kept going, right? Like, you you've probably had a ton of stuff that you look back on and think like. You even may look back at some of those failures and think, like, I'm going to keep those for later. You know, like, do you ever have, you know, sketches or ideas that didn't work back then that you keep just in case? Like, if it ever, you know, there was ever a right time that, you know, like, maybe this could work in this certain situation? Oh, totally. I keep I keep everything. I mean, and uh, it kind of annoys my wife. I have all these sketch pads. <laughs> like, my computer right now is sitting on a big pile of sketch pads. Here's one of them right now. Let me see if I can pull one out of here. Uh, here's my sketch pad. I have all these sketch pads, all these oh, drawings. Oh, my God. Let me show you one I'm working on just for the heck of it. Oh, it's yeah. fun. Uh, this is, I love, for some reason, I love drawing this. I love uh, Spider-Man outrunning the Hulk. I don't know why. Oh, I like my doing God. This. Wow. This is Spider-Man, and the Hulk is trying to destroy him. And this is kind of my little side picture I'm working on when I kind of want to just relax. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you always have that intuition to just draw? Because, again, that that's talent. You know, like you could work really really hard at that and still not be that good 
Oh, hey, man. You know, I just love, uh, like I said, I love comics. I love superheroes. Here's another um, drawing I did. It's just a collection of all my characters here. Danny Phantom. We got, oh, I, I threw God. Pikachu in there for the heck of it. And there's wow. a Dudley Puppy. You see, I drew this back uh, last year. Well, where's the date right now? Yeah. Anyway, I drew, I drew it in March of 2020. But, uh, yeah, I got all these sketch pads around. And um, there's a bunch of original characters in here, uh, potential ideas. I mean, if you can still do it, why do you? Why would you ever want to stop? You know, it's not like a sport where you get old and your knees get worn out. With the with creativity, you know, you can keep going and going and going. And uh, even basketball players, they get into coaching, they get because they still That's love right. the game. They still want to be part of it. That's right. I mean, in, in your case, you're you're dealing with stuff that it's like, okay, like it does not work right now. All right, it, it's not necessarily a failure. Like if you can come back and look at that one day, like I've done. You know, short films, I've written things, you know, just in school that I look back and think like, man, I was, I was not good in the moment. But you look back at it like, this could work one day. You know, like I might look back at this and be like, that was pretty cool that we did that. Yeah, and you know, and you might even, uh, you know, draw upon parts of it later on as you're, as you're trying to come up with something. But you're, you know, your best days are ahead of you and you're already doing great for who you are right now. Just having a podcast and even getting guests on. My gosh, yeah. you're getting guests on your podcast. Look at that. That's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, I think that's great. You got a real, again, it's not just the talent. If you want to, if you want to you know, paint pictures in your house and never let anybody know, that's completely fine. But if you want to make a living at it, you need to let people know that you're there. And I always say the hardest thing for any artist is to put your picture on a wall. Yeah. Because putting on a wall, everybody can instantly start judging it. And, and that's where people, that's where the fear comes in. That's why I don't want people to be afraid because you know what? Big deal. Someone doesn't like it, but somebody might. Were uh, Fairly Odd Parents and Danny Phantom turned down by anybody at first? Was it like, yeah, that, that'll never work? Fairly Odd Parents was turned down by Cartoon Network. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, wow. I, uh, when, I worked, when I worked at Nickelodeon, excuse me, Hanna-Barbera, I was under contract. I had to pitch them any idea I had first. It's called a first-look contract. Mm. And I had to pitch it to Kat, uh, um, Hanna-Barbera, and they turned it down, and I was free to go to Nickelodeon with it. And so I went over there, and they bought it. And uh, Danny Phantom uh, was instantly bought by Nickelodeon because they loved Fairly Odd Parents so much. They were like, "Anything you want? What do you want to make?" And I said, "I got this show about this ghost kid. Great, let's make it." <laughs> it was like that quick. Oh yeah, they, they trusted you at that point. Yeah, but it's again, people like might might even go not push. It's so easy for you to get a show made. It's like, well, yes and no. I mean, it, I could get a meeting in two seconds, but. You're, you're, once you're who you are, it's like, well, that's a Butch Hartman show. We've seen Butch's stuff. You're sort of getting over that. You know, we've seen a Butch Hartman thing. What else can you do? That's so you're constantly having to reinvent yourself or prove yourself in a different way. Which is, I think, one of the more creative and exciting parts of the job, getting to go outside the box, outside your comfort zone, and kind of reinvent yourself. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. And it kind of forces you in a good way. You're like, okay, let's see here. You know, whereas... Uh, you know, Ninja Turtles was was the rage in like the late '90s, right. and then Adventure Time in the late 2000s. You know, and it's like, well, what are people buying? What are they? What are they? What are they nibbling at? What's you know, what's what's the trend out there? But again, that's why I want to do a lot of my own stuff because I um I'd like to just make my own stuff just because it's fun, and if someone likes it, awesome. You know. Well, I mean, the fact that you're still as passionate about it now as you were when you started is awesome and inspiring in its own right. And I know you got to go pretty soon, so I have one more thing that I kind of wanted to discuss with you. We have a few pictures here 
of you with uh, with some of the guys that you've worked with along your career. Oh, no. Let me see. And I, I, I want to get a brief explanation of either, you know, the picture or, like, your your best, funniest story with this specific person. So, Hank, you if you want to throw it. a few of those pictures up. First one, Adam West, Batman. Oh, my hero, Adam. I love him so much. I was so sad when he passed away. What a fantastic guy. And uh, always, of course, a Batman fan growing up. And we... Um, I, he came around because when I was working at Hanna-Barbera, Seth MacFarlane and I were working on Johnny Bravo. Yeah. Seth was a dear friend of mine. And uh, we were working on Johnny Bravo, and we decided to do an episode where Johnny Bravo meets Adam West. I don't know. There <laughs> he is. Like, there he is. Those two studs. There you go, buddy. Uh, like, uh, taking on an actual camera. But, um, wow. We were there, uh, and we wrote a show. Johnny meets Adam West. Adam came in and did The Voice. We thought he was so funny. We decided to develop a show for Adam, and we came up with this killer pilot idea. They never made it, and uh, Seth and I kind of made a little gentleman's vow. Hey, if I get a show, we'll put Adam on it, and Seth's like, if I get a show, I'll put Adam on it, and then he, we both put Adam on our show. <laughs> oh, my God. That's incredible. Childhood dream right there. Oh, uh, it was fun, man. He's, Adam was just a joy and an amazing guy to work with. So what, what was it like working with McFarlane at a young age? Because that was before, like, you know, you both hit it big, you know? That that was bef- that was pre-Fairly Odd Parents. That's pre-Family yeah. Guy. Seth didn't have any money, and uh, but, but was one of the most talented and still obviously is one of the most talented guys I've ever met in my life. He's about nine years younger than me. Met him at uh, Hanna-Barbera. He won a contest. There was a, I remember one day they said, hey, guys, come down and judge these films. It was me and, like, Gandy Tartakovsky and Craig McCracken and, like, five or six others. They said, come judge these films. And we went and watched these student films from the Rhode Island School of Design. And whoever won got to come to Hanna-Barbera and work. I guess that was the prize. Wow. So we sat there and watched these films, and they were all pretty boring. But Seth's was unbelievably hilarious. We were dying. We were like all of us cracking up. We're like, well, that's the clear winner. And next thing I know, Seth is walking the halls of Hanna-Barbera. And we become friends. And then, uh, yeah, we kind of hit it off from there. And then he sold his show and became a billionaire, and I got married. So, you know, we kind of went <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That, that's a funny joke that your wife probably wouldn't appreciate. We might have to edit that. Oh, out. I tell her all the time. We, she and I were kind of Seth's parents because he ended up renting my condo uh, right out of. I, I, I moved out of my condo with my wife. We had this condo we couldn't sell, so we rented it to Seth, and he actually was my my tenant for like about I think it was about a year. That's hilarious. Oh my <laughs> god. What else we got, Hank? There's a few funny guys on here. Here, here's you with the uh, the Avengers set. What, oh, what's I just, that's just the other day. That was really? uh, last weekend. Yeah, that was on Saturday. Oh, excuse me. That was last Friday. Disneyland was reopened after COVID, and we got to go into the new Avengers campus. That's my buddy, Alan. That's just a dear friend of mine, Alan. Oh, well, I didn't know they opened that up. Yeah, they opened it up, and uh, California residents only, and didn't have to wear masks, which was really cool. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. I think yep. we got one or two more here for you. This guy, I think, is one of the funniest guys ever. Uh, dude, Jerry Trainer, one of my all-time comedy heroes, and uh, just the, the coolest dude. He did the voice of Tough Puppy for me. Uh, oh, yeah. One of my, yeah, he was the voice of Dudley Puppy on Tough Puppy, and had no idea I was going to cast him. I was going to do the voice of Tough Puppy, of Dudley Puppy. Really? I couldn't, I couldn't find anybody. I'm like, oh, gosh, it's just not what I'm... You hear these voices, they're good, but you're like, that's not what I'm looking for. It's not the comedy I'm looking for. And then someone said, you should read this guy from, you know, iCarly. He's pretty funny. I went, okay. <laughs> read him, and I went, this guy is pretty funny. And then I gave him an even harder read. I gave him, like, a harder piece of dialogue. I said, and he just went for it. And he was so funny. And he took, like, 
you know, it's great when an actor can take a boring line and make it amazing. Like, and so once we had Jerry, we're like, okay, now we know Jerry can do this. We can write for Jerry. Like anything, if Jerry says this word, he'll always kill it. He'll always kill whatever the word was. Jerry will kill this. And I, I <laughs> just laughing, thinking about it. that show was one of the funniest shows I ever worked on because of, because of Jerry He's so good. He just seems like one of the more natural, funny comic types that I don't think gets a lot of recognition. Oh yeah, he's certifiably insane, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but no, but no, in a good way. But Jerry is a dear friend. What love that guy? So great. And the last one we have. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was the last episode of the podcast that you did with Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy. Yeah. Well, on the screen there, the young man in the middle. That's Jace Deal. Jace. Is, well, he was my co-host on um, Speech Bubble. Yep. Amazing, amazing kid. He was a fan of mine, grew up, and I knew him here. Uh, he went, I knew, I met him here in uh, the area. He went to school with my daughter. That's how I met him. Oh, he wow. was a fan. And Jace actually got my guests for my podcast. He was a big Disney fan. He goes, let me reach out to Bill Farmer. So that's how I got Bill Farmer, the voice of <laughs> Goofy. I got Goofy on uh, the show. And, boy, Bill was a great guy, too. We had such a great time on Speech Bubble and really uh, actually built a little fan base. So it was kind of cool. I mean, again, to go back to, you know, teaching young aspiring students to do what you have ultimately done with your career, like that, that podcast, I think alone, you know, on top of, you know, the books you're writing and, and the new stuff that you're doing now, you know, it, it just goes back to, you know, how appreciative that you have been with your experiences and to getting where you are, no matter how, you know, difficult the road was to being here now and, you know, talking to me, taking a half hour out of your day to talk to me, despite doing all this other stuff stuff to help people around the world accomplish their dreams. So, Butch, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. I know you got a call it too, so I'll let you go. Uh, again, go check out his YouTube channel. He's got everything there. He's got a lot of stuff coming out. Um, this was episode... Out, you know, check me out on TikTok as well. I have a oh, wow, really? So yeah, check out my TikTok. It's just Butch Hartman on TikTok. I got about a million point two followers over there, so check that out. Wow. I have yet to master TikTok, and you already have. I got to get on that. <laughs> That's funny. I'm mastering. I, I don't dance or Anything, but uh, we just do drawings over there. But uh, yeah, it's, I like TikTok because if you want to make it in social media, TikTok is easy to do. And I look at it as a movie trailer. It's like a movie trailer of what you do. It's a condensed version, and it's really cool, easy to make, and they're really and they're shareable everywhere. Your videos, which is very very cool. Social media is a very very huge component when it comes to making it in today's entertainment world. So I suggest everybody get a handle on it if you can. And it's safe to say that you've adapted quite nicely with everything that you got going on, whether it's YouTube, you know, and, and TikTok. Again, like I, I literally have been on that app three or four times and I just get frustrated and delete it. I have no idea how to use it. Some of the content I see makes me want to delete it. So I don't, well, I don't blame you there, but there's some really funny stuff on there and some really uplifting stuff. And there's some real great, great people on TikTok that do really uh, great work. And so check that out. But um, I'd encourage you to do it because I think you'll enjoy it. And especially a guy like you doing 30 minute, 60 minute blasts would be a lot of fun for you. Well, now I'm motivated to do it. Now I, now I have someone who backs me and says that, you know, nice. I, I could do it. So Butch, again, thanks so much, man. I'll let you go. This was episode 375 of the O Show presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Thanks for watching. Bye, guys. Thank you. Guys, thank you. Guys, thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.